this. This week in car audio. Tune in, tune in, tune in, This week in car audio. Audio. Tune in, tune in, What we talking about, bass? Talking about chips. Talking about rings. You ain't got them. Zip your lip. You got a problem you ever found? Check your grounds. The show about to start. Start. Tune in, tune in, tune in, tune in, tune in, tune in. Welcome to This Week in Car Audio with your host, the judge, Doug Stockton, with your co-host, Jeffrey <laughs> Fernandez. What's up, Jeff? Dude, oh, man. It's Cameras all going messing bad. Up again. It's all going it's, bad. It reminds me of that uh, character back in the 80s, Max Hedrum. Max Hedrum? That's, yeah. It's like I'm, I'm like sketching in and out here. <laughs> Dude, this is so bad. I, I'm having so many problems right here. Um, I'm trying to get stuff going live. It ain't working. You're oh, no. glitching out. There we go. I am yeah. live. I got the stuff. Oh, here we go. There it is. Not here. <laughs> there we go. Now we're live. I got everything working. Let's see. Oh, but he's not DB Don. Okay. There we go. Now I need to get over here and close this out. Ah, there we go. So far, we got looking over here. We got SQ Sounds out of Bridgetown, Barbados. We got Moises Alejandre. That's, um, uh, what's his name? Son, Manny Lobb's son, Mario Anthony Perella. Hey, guys, checking in. We got all kinds of people starting to check in here. We're going to uh, start talking. Oh, let me go live. Hey, Jeffrey, anything new come up with you uh, this week, sir? This week? Uh, no, no, we're just... Uh going out uh, all last week uh, out here in texas man we just uh, hit like some kind of crazy ice storm and uh fortunately now we're thawing out and we're getting back in the swing of things and uh roads are uh, uh travelable and now well, that's so. right you're, you're in texas now you're not in uh california anymore people don't know how to drive in that stuff Exactly. Well, especially Texas, I heard. So <laughs> I, I, I've been watching YouTube and I there's this stretch of freeway out here uh, in Dallas where there's this camera. And then I guess it was just showing cars spinning out, uh, I guess, a bunch of like two wheel drive cars that, you know, were caught with their tires spinning, spinning out. Right. And oh, man, it was just really scary. But uh, fortunately, you know, weather's being good. I think it's going to rain again tomorrow, but not as crazy. But, uh, you know, at least we're not getting the ice storm. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so are you familiar with uh, Club 33? Uh, yep. is, is that the uh, uh, the SPL team? No, Club 33 no. at Disneyland. No, no. What oh, is that? so that's a special only people with all kinds of things so my wife's heading there it's sixty thousand oh, dollars a year to get in um uh, that's the membership and then it's fifteen thousand a month is that <laughs> like vip or <laughs> yes it's super vip and then uh, Ka calvin but, here says it's a secret restaurant it is a secret restaurant he is absolutely right jeffrey thawing out um, all right, so let me change this name real quick. 
um, properties. I got to change that to Steve Deckert. Um, so uh, DB Don and I were talking last week about our influences um, in car audio. And um, man, this name came up. That's all I'm going to say. So, oops. Control Z. I'm, dude, I'm put. I am all over the place today, Jeff. Um, oh man, you and right. I both. All right. So first, I want to say thanks to our um, sponsors today. Uh, I know where the food hides, even if it's a secret. I'll sniff it out. That says Calvin. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> um, where is my my thing disappeared on me? There we go. Um. Anyway, uh, so DB Don and I were talking um, how we used to do ported horns and, you know, what we designed and whatnot. And uh, the name came up, Steve Deckert of Deckware Designs. Uh, for you guys that don't know, um, he designed a subwoofer box called the Death Box for a single 10 or dual 10s if you want to do clamshell. And then he also designed another one called a Wicked One which uh, the half wicked one is what people typically used in their vehicles. And that's kind of most people's introductions into um, like advanced subwoofer box design. And he did some house wreckers and he actually wrote a book and all this other stuff. And he's way too smart for us, but luckily we got him. Welcome, Mr. Steve Deckert. Thank you. All right. Hey. So, so I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff. Why don't you tell us uh, your version of you? <laughs> My version of me? Yes, sir. Well, that's a unique perspective. Um, well, just so you know, so I'm Doug Mother F in Stockton. That's my version of me. My wife <laughs> disagrees with that, but, <laughs> but that's my version of me. So well, what's your version of you coming from somebody with a mind like yours? Uh, boy, self-taught, enthusiastic, blessed, you know, fortunate. Okay. To be in the right place at the right time with the right ideas. Okay. So, so, like I've said, I you were absolutely one of my influences when I started designing subwoofer boxes. And actually, um, your manufacturing your own subwoofers actually is what started my company manufacturing my subwoofers. I went a different direction. You were going for efficient. I was going for loud as hell with as much power as you can throw to it. It's a slightly different direction than what you were going. Um, but, um, you know, you were my influence in that you were one of the strong reasons that I started Sonic FX as a subwoofer and amplifier manufacturing company. Um, that was back in 2000. So I, I appreciate what you did. Like I said, um, I went around and used a ported horn showing people all over the country my ported horn design. And it was a and variation would be loosely putting it of your wicked one. I used the principles from the wicked one to put it together and then expanded on it in my own direction. Um, says real quick here tiffany says steve i've been hearing about you for years in our house nice to finally meet the legend <laughs> thank you nice to meet you too 
<laughs> oh, Base Mata says, uh, now I can uh, harass Jeffrey on Facebook and YouTube. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so so you just you you feel that you're just fortunate uh, to have been in the right place at the right time. Well, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I wasn't always into audio. Most of us weren't. There's a point in your life where you you get the bug, and I had back in the 1980s. I had a pretty high stress job corporate job taking care of uh, maintenance and engineering for a chain of restaurants in the New Jersey area. And I was pretty good at it, but it was, like I said, high stress and complicated. And after a period of time, I decided, you know, I'd, I'd like a simpler life. So I quit and I came back here to Peoria where, where we are now. And I took a job as a carpenter so that I wouldn't have to think. Yep. And I rather enjoyed that. I did it for several years, uh, met some good people on, on that job. Uh, one gentleman named Paul, who was a good friend of mine, uh, or became a good friend of mine, uh, he was married at the time. I was uh, single, and he brought a book to work from Jensen Imperial, uh, 1957, and it, it was a speaker book full of speaker plans. Back then, when you bought a, uh, a speaker or a stereo, you didn't buy the whole, you know, turnkey package. You bought the drivers and you built your own box. Right. And so the biggest box in the book was the Jensen Imperial. And it was a rear-loaded folded horn. It was uh, 28 cubic feet. Yeah bend ways to 600 hertz he wanted uh to build this thing but his wife would would kill him if she caught him doing that so he <laughs> talked, talked me into doing it and so i did it and as i was putting this thing together you know the curiosity was was building because i'm dying to hear i know it's going to make a lot of bass because it's it's so huge and by the time I had it assembled, I was talking into the, you know, the cutout for the woofer and listening to my voice get amplified. And that was getting me pretty excited. So when I finally got it done, uh, it was it was a 15 inch, a single 15 inch design. And I didn't have a 15. So I went in the bedroom and I grabbed a pair of old Pioneer 10 inch three ways, some acoustic suspension speakers from probably the late 60s, early 70s. Okay. Power hungry. <laughs> uh, but that's all there was. So I scavenged a 10 inch driver out of that cabinet and I made a, a, you know, an adapter and I shoved it in the opening of the Imperial and hooked it up to the Pioneer receiver, um, probably 25 watt receiver. And I brought the other speaker upstairs and I, I set it on the bench and had it playing the other, <clears throat> excuse me, the other channel. And when I flipped the balance over from the Pioneer stock to the driver in the Imperial cabinet, um, there really isn't words to describe what I heard. The, the difference in gain had to be 12 dB, maybe more. Wow. And the, and the bass had to be an octave lower. Um, I lived on a property at the time where the neighbor was about 
maybe 112 feet from my garage. And he came running out of his house because he <laughs> had stuff shaking in his bedroom. And that was just from playing the radio. Right. So it just was a, a bass amplifier. And I had no idea something like that was possible. No, you know, no clue whatsoever. Um, to me, that was magic. And I had to have more of that. So that that kind of set the hook. And um, we we had a lot of fun with that. There were um, periods of time where that that cabinet ended up in places where it never should have been. But we we test. I had one in my garage. Um, the, the first one that I built just stayed out there. We built many of them, but the first one stayed out there and I had a, a tube oscillator that I could sweep from 20 to 20 kilohertz without steps, just a nice smooth sweep. And I used that to uh, wazoo the Imperials, what we called it. And we would just start at maybe a hundred hertz and very slowly drop the dial until we get down to 20 and you know experience the the earthquake that would take place <laughs> and i had that thing in my garage and about you know it, it was like drugs you got addicted to it i every day about 2 30 i had to have a little fix of that so i'd sneak out there for lunch and i'd wazoo it with that frequency generator and it would sound like a helicopter was landing on the roof, or it would feel like that. Right. Was, so it, it we just, call that bass therapy around here. Well, see, no, this was back long before car audio went off the deep end. All right. <laughs> I mean that in a, in a respectful way. You mean it, like the uh, 20 oh, and 30,000 watt amps? Yes, nobody had heard bass like like what's happening today not even close right. this imperial was that kind of similar base to that but it was coming out of a single 15 inch driver mm -hmm. and there was a point in time when every time i would wazoo this thing i'd catch out of the corner of my eye this old man about three houses down in his pajamas running across this empty lot <laughs> and after the third time i figured that guy's looking for somebody <laughs> and then after a while longer i figured out he's looking for me because he's probably working first or you know third shift right sleep and every mm -hmm. day this you know son of a gun is is and, and so you know we had a lot of fun with that um there was also a point in time where we took uh we took an Eli Whitney catalog and ordered the cheapest crap in it just to see what we could do with it because mm -hmm. it was you know, entertainment. So we had this $15, 12-inch woofer. It might have been 20 <laughs> And it came in cast frame, you know. Um, we built a one-cubic-foot uh, sealed box and stuck it in there and swept it. It went down to 100 hertz, not a you know, you heard silence below 100 hertz. Okay. But this box would just fit through the 14 and a half inch opening or the 14 inch opening for that 
15-inch mm -hmm. woofer. So we stuck it in the face of the imperial instead of the woofer pointing into the throat of the horn, mm -hmm. sealed up the front. And what that did is it turned it turned that horn into a bandpass horn with a cue of probably two or three, which means just not, a horrendous not horrendous. not seven. <laughs> well, I don't know how high you know you guys have gotten it to go. I don't even know how high well, that. Well, Q seven is going to be nice and smooth, right? So yes, that's what your ideal seven. is. But if you're at a two, that thing looks like a freaking like a mountain peak. Well, it, and and it peaked at twenty two hertz. That's awesome. So. That's why it was so fun to wazoo it with that frequency generator in slow motion, see? Uh -huh. So this was in there. This was just one of our experiments. We had done dozens of combinations, you know, from fitting as many 15s inside the thing as we could to, you know, a single eight and everything in between. Hmm. And we were doing... Um, Pro Audio at the time, and one of our customer clients owned a small bar, and he was having a lot of trouble with bass in his bar. If you think cars have problems with bass, <laughs> bars are notorious because nobody sets them up right. right. And this was just a, I don't know, 5,000 square foot bar small dance floor, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And they had four 18s in there that were making absolutely no bass. And we told them we can get the bass fixed. We told them they've never even heard bass yet. <laughs> so one thing led to another and he wanted us to bring this cabinet down. So we put the Imperial in the back of the truck, drove down there, Carted it out, two-wheeled it through the front door, put it on the dance floor, and we brought our own amp. It wasn't probably 120 watts. Mm -hmm. Hooked it up to this thing, and we still had that 12 in there. And we brought the frequency generator. And now this is probably 5.30. So they're starting to have some dinner action, and there's people starting to fill in the place. And... You know, we're just ignoring all that. And we we started at 100 hertz, turned it up to clipping, backed it off just a bit, and then just slowly dropped it. The slower you do it, the better the effect. Right. And by the time we got to 50, that was starting to grab the room pretty hard. Mm -hmm. And getting people's attention and we started seeing people squirm at their tables and looking around and kind of wondering, you know, they're getting a little concerned. They don't know what's going on. Nobody announced, you know, that there's a test happening. <laughs> and we just kept on going until we got, I don't know, down to 20 or so, and then just flipped the switch. We had ashtrays on the tables moving around like air hockey pucks. And then we just killed the, the power and put this thing on the two-wheeler and started to walk out with it. And the bartender got a little panicky and said, aren't you going to play music? <laughs> I said, well, we don't do well, that. <laughs> point of that. 
you wanted to hear bass. You're never going to ever hear more bass than that. What, what would be the point of music? No, we're not going to hook up music to it. And eventually we got them as a client and put some of those in their bar. We, we put those in most of the nightclubs in the area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember um, Audio Control made a product called the Epicenter? Yeah, so they still make that. Um, they yeah, so that's actually a pretty popular thing because you can fine tune the uh, frequency that you want to peak a uh, song at to to help it align with the system that you got designed in your vehicle. So it it is it's used just not a lot by most of the people we do because um, when we get a true wave from a direct signal, we can create more acoustical energy, hence a higher SPL than with a epicenter. Um, you know, because every time you add a component, it muddles the music. It, it, it removes something to create what it wants to create. So um, in general, the epicenters are a deterrent to what we're trying to accomplish in the car audio competition world. I'm not sure if it hasn't changed since we used to use it because when it originally came out it was it was simply an algorithm that played the baseline an octave lower than it was uh, uh so uh yes it must have changed because like i said the ones they have now you can literally dial um you can dial say i want this song to play 30 hertz so you dial it up to that, and all the peak notes are going to be 30 hertz. So gotcha. it doesn't change whatever octave, um, yeah. but that's it. Um, well, it was real simple in the early days, but we surely had a lot of fun with it, especially on those large imperials. We had to actually put those under lock and key so the DJs couldn't access it. Oh. We, we only used that when we went to the the bars to test you know to inspect so when i read your book i don't remember if it was your website or your book uh you talked about the development of the death box yeah um which at the time was a single 10 i believe it was an extended cab truck and you were trying to help them compete in a sound off organization can you uh, tell us a little bit about that story sure sure um so after <clears throat> after this uh, whole imperial saga and the pro audio thing and, and being a carpenter fizzled out, I got disabled and I needed a job. So I took a job at a car audio, or well, a, you know, a stereo shop that did car audio, and that was where I heard my first sound stage. <clears throat> where I got into car audio and started building boxes. And I'm sure that many, many DIY guys and beginners in car audio have experienced building a box in their garage. They may have tuned it to the feel and small parameters and they test it out and it's, it's making all kinds of bass and they're real excited. And then they put it in the car and there's no freaking bass. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, when we were making boxes for customers, this would happen, you know, one out of every three times. And it got expensive. And I thought, well, we need a box that that's immune to that. And so the woofer is going to have to be taken out uh, of the picture so that it's inside the box protected so it doesn't know if it's in a car or in your basement. And that's that's kind of where that came from. And then we made it tunable so that we wouldn't get locked into a particular uh, driver, although we used the, uh, the kicker competition C10s at that time. That was a fairly new company, and they were making some great uh, product. And that woofer had a, a good sensitivity, and it it uh, it had the right FS and the right Q to go pretty low in a small box. So it worked really well. Um, and we that was our generic box that would work in anybody's car. Yeah. So so let me describe it for people uh, that have not seen a depth box. So essentially, it's 21 inches tall, uh, roughly 12 by 12 wide. Um, so it's like it, it, a 10-inch woofer just fits inside the box. I think it's 21 and a half or 21 inches tall, roughly. Um, this is all from memory. I haven't built one in about 20 years, so forgive me if I'm not exactly right on it. Um, so I remember the woofer was barely fit in it, and then there was literally a square box that was only 6 inches tall that fit inside of that. You mounted the subwoofer to that, and now that six-inch little box had a, for lack of a better term, had your initial port, and then that went out of a half-moon port at the bottom. Now, you would adjust that six-inch box up and down to maximize the peak of the vehicle for competing. Is that a good, accurate description, Steve? It, it was for competing and just personal taste. Some people like a, a boomier sound and some people like a flatter sound. Um, it, it was a pretty decent sound quality box and SPL box, really. Uh, it was designed as a sound quality box, but at least initially, um, you know, the as, as a car audio installer, when you're selling car audio, one of the problems that you run into in a hurry is power handling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you set the gains on the amps, right? And you get everything dialed in and it sounds great. And then as soon as the customer leaves and they go around the corner into the parking lot, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. So Jeffrey, you've never seen any customer. No, that's the way it came from the factory, the <laughs> setting time. Exactly. It vibrated itself like that. Yeah. Yeah. I and turned so, it up just three quarter volume or whatever they said. So, you know, you get tired of cooking woofers. And I thought, man, we got to, we got to really get a, something that can handle some power. So we started looking at, well, what's cooking them? It's over excursion from mm -hmm. improper tuning, sloppy feel, small parameters that are never right and box designs that are non-symmetrical and load the cone more on one side than the other and make the voice coil rub on the pole and um, all of these. Jeffrey can tell you about that in a super street vehicle. So super street vehicles for us is we put a wall and then you try and fit as many subwoofers on it. Um, why don't you tell them real quick, Jeffrey, the issues you were having in your super street vehicle with uh, loading 
the subwoofers and stuff? Well, um, it was back when uh, somebody had this uh, really interesting idea of putting this uh, loading wall. Whammy or bar. What we, used to, what we used to call a whammy. It, it was essentially an angle that uh, deflected the wave. Oh, I don't know if it was sooner than the other woofer that was right next to it. And, I, you know, in theory, I mean, you would think that the, uh, that woofer in that corner that it's in front of the whammy board would always get cooked, you know? And we knew that would happen, but we did it anyway because for some reason, the, uh, the, the SPL output of it was what we wanted. So, you know, we would do, uh, man, put things behind it, um, thick walls. We would put like, we put the angle in there. We'd fill it with like concrete or uh, just, you know, a little bit of crazy stuff. We didn't worry about, uh, you know, uh, I guess maybe the timing or, you know, quarter wave, or we just built it big and as, you know, I guess whatever we thought that would help. So, so the <laughs> advantage of building it big is because you can always shrink it down yeah. and put adjustments mm -hmm. in there. That's why the back in the 2000s and the 90s people build these huge systems in their car and then we would continually yeah. shrink them down until we maximize the vehicle right um right. but in this first super street car i build which was um uh what's his name in salinas uh miguel ayala's he had that rabbit he had the orange rabbit and the lower driver or passenger side subwoofer because it was lower it was offset like this right so the passenger side was lower was lower right. and the driver side was higher but we would blow that lower sub almost every burp and what we figured out was because it was so close to the wall and we were trying to get it so close it would load differently on one side of the driver than the other so we would tilt the cone and we would uh we would uh, uh short it out uh, so what we ended up doing is we added nickels to one side of the cone so that even though we had higher <laughs> pressure on one side, it was more mass to move and it kind of saved us. So we would get like five or six burps out of it before we would blow it up instead of one. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So well, with a death box, you have a sealed, a sealed cavity that's yep. symmetrical mm -hmm. and that really helps. And then on the, on the other side, um, that entire design with that duct hitting right down the center of the dust cap is also symmetrical. Mm -hmm. And that came to pass from, oh God, I don't know how many boxes we built, but we, <laughs> we had a reconing business, so it wasn't a problem blowing up whoopers. <laughs> and we did it on purpose for a long time just to see because we'd start out barely getting the power handling rating of the driver, you know, with the typical uh, fourth order bandpass with a four inch round port off to the side somewhere. That's where it began. And by the time we finished, we probably had at least over double the power handling of any driver that we tested in that box versus a non-symmetrical box so it made it it made a big difference we we would uh hot glue a, or super glue a piezo tweeter element onto the pole piece and then put that into a microphone preamp and measure the the voice coil rub 
And when you didn't get any rub at all, then the air around the voice coil, that that gap of air is exactly the same. So the temperature of the coil is exactly the same. There's no hot spots on the coil. And, you know, it's moving air the way it was designed to. And, you know, it, as long as you can keep everything in its happy zone, it can stomach boatloads of power. And you know, we used to get a lot of boxes that weren't tuned right and, and take the woofers out of them. And they look like, um, you know, the surrounds are just toast. Yeah. You know, they're just floppy. The spiders, the whole suspension is shot. If you turn the cone upside down, it just falls down, right? <laughs> and man, that stuff sounds bad. And you can, I've seen this happen, you know, with, with 100 watt amplifier on a 250 watt now, don't laugh at these numbers these are 19 <laughs> yeah 19. it's okay but the point is with with half the power you know half the power the thing was rated for they could beat it to death so and so i will say with that death box though i blew a ton of woofers in it and you couldn't even tell so it also because it didn't add uneven pressure even though the triple joint was blown the driver would still run and it wouldn't rub. So you would never hear the knocking noise mm. and your subwoofer had been blown for months. Uh, so because, you know, us DB draggers may have overpowered the driver a little bit. You know, <laughs> Steve was, I believe his drivers were like 200 watt drivers back then. Um, yeah, that, they weren't that Yeah, <laughs> and I was running a 500 to each coil. So, um I may have been overdriving that sub just slightly when I did that. Um, well, the, the wicked one took that to a whole nother level. He did. So, so let's go grab a couple of these questions real quick. Um, so he says, "How did you come up with the name Death Box?" Because of all the woofers that we blew up in it. <laughs> That's an awesome answer. Yeah. Okay, here. So here, speaking of the wicked one, uh, we got our question on this. So, Steve, did you notice the left? adding issues with wicked one box having an equal rear chamber angles and front chamber angles with the x shape that it has so my understanding of what he's saying is uh let's see here did he um oh it, here's the, he he redid the question says steve did you notice any oh. loading issues with the wicked one box it has an unequal rear chamber with angles and same with the front chamber with the X-shaped design. So, well, go ahead. I bet you can answer that. The Wicked one is, you know, that's a that's a folded horn where you have two halves. So it's two folded horns that share the last horn flare. In other words, the mouth of the horn is shared by both halves. So everything has to be perfectly symmetrical. The drivers need to match. Um, you know, the amplification needs to match. And if it does, if it all matches well, then then it, it, the wave fronts combine in the throat of that horn, and you get you get away with half the space because otherwise that box would be twice that size to do what it does. Yeah. So so that's what we were talking about last week was the quarter wave theory, right? So to propagate the wave properly uh, for what that box was tuned at, it would have to be 
it has to be huge. So I actually built the 32-inch Wicked one, right? Oh, no, 24. So the 24. Um, because obviously it was going in a car. 32 is very difficult to get into a vehicle. Uh, but the 24 wasn't. Um, and I used that and learned um, about that final horn and how it the amount of times the surface area on that horn changed every inch. So it was distance over size was the number would actually do the tuning for that. So I would uh, play with my tunings like with that oh, changing that flare to maximize the SPL of my vehicle. Um, so I learned that, uh, but like I said, but that came from first starting with your box, right? So that's absolutely where it started. And it was uh, phenomenal to learn that stuff and to see when that light goes off of, oh, I see what I'm doing. And you learn <laughs> that it's, I mean, obviously you had that same thing when you did that, uh, that initial box that you built way back when, and we're running a little speaker on it. I did. In fact, the wicked one has an, its own story. All right, let's hear that. Um, friend of mine, was a good musician and I used to go uh, hang out on jam night and I would sit at the bottom of the steps right in front of the drum kit and after you know a couple hours my chest hurt from the kick drum but in a good way if that makes any sense uh, and I was yes <laughs> I would walk home because uh, it was just a few houses on the other side of the alley. And I'd walk home after jam thinking, there's no way a stereo can do that. That's just, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. But before I got halfway home, then it shifted to, what's it going to take to make a stereo do that? Mm -hmm. And I started getting visions of like a W shape with just a whole bunch of 10 inch drivers clamshelled in it, you know, just a, a linear wall of semi horn loaded drivers. Um, but when I went out to do it, then the ideas started flooding in. It actually started out that way. And I, I decided I want to make it expand both horizontally and vertically at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that means I'm going to need smaller drivers, a longer horn, everything's going to have to change, but it's not too late to change it. So I just, I set it up for five or four, five and a quarter inch drivers. So they'd be clamshelled like this and right in the very back of the V of a horn, okay? So, and one one set on top of the other. And the idea was that I'd get about the same cone area as a 12 inch driver that way, but four times faster because okay. the moving mass is so much lower on a five and a quarter. So right. this is how I built it. I put it all together. Um, I put it in the room I had at the house I lived in at the time was perfectly square. And in fact, it was worse than that. It was it was 15 by 15 feet 
with a seven and a half foot ceiling. Mm -hmm. So if you know, you know, if you do your math, that's not a good thing for base. <laughs> Square's never good for base. It's this this just oh it was such a terrible experience. So I just built one because it was a real bitch to build. It was, was not fun. It had compound radius angles in it. Mm -hmm. And I got it all done. It looked great. I dreaded the thought of even tr doing another one, right? So I drug it in the house. I put it in the corner, fired it up, played uh, oh, some good heavy metal. And it was the best bass I ever heard sound quality wise. It just <laughs> Accurate, this incredible, right? Incredible hit. Just incredible. And I was in love with it, literally. And I just had a little bookshelf speaker on the on the other channel just to even it out so I could listen to it. Well, I listened to it that way for six months before I got myself talked into building the mate for it. And so to make a long story short, I built the mate for it. I brought it back in the house and put it in the other corner. It doesn't have any drivers in it yet. I'm going to do that while it's in the house. So I have the front off the thing, and it's in the corner. There's no drivers in it. I have the other one turned on because you got to listen to music while you're working on music. Obviously. <laughs> and I notice while I'm working, there's no bass. I mean, none. And I'm thinking, that's so weird. Something must be wrong, but I'm too busy to... I'm going to do this first, then I'll worry about that. So I put the drivers in it, and I button it up, and there is still no bass. In fact, it's like there's even less bass than there was before there was no bass. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what in the hell's going on here? So I thought, all right, well, there's going to be some bass in about a minute because I'm hooking it up. And I hooked it up, and I turned it on, and I couldn't wait because the bass from just that one was so killer good mm -hmm. that two was just going to be an orgasm, right? Yep. I turn it on, and it sounded like somebody high-passed it at 80 hertz. There was silence below 80 hertz. Mm. And, you know, so I'm checking to make sure everything's in phase and doing all the stuff you do and to make, you know, it. There was no bass. Now, if I went outside on the driveway, there was a lot of bass. But in, in that room, there was nothing. There wasn't a spot in there you could stand, even in the corners or against the walls where there was any bass. And there was no internet back then. <laughs> so, you know, I had to get out some graphing paper and draw the waves by hand at different frequencies to figure out that I had created a standing wave exactly the size of the room, right oh. down the center line. So that's so, what we were talking about in the cars yesterday while yes, we were tuning the panels. That's what happens in cars. And I did the exact same thing to myself. This was before I even got into car audio. Mm -hmm. But so now I'm really pissed off because <laughs> I figured out why it's doing it. It works so good. It's such a perfect design 
that it won't work. <laughs> right? Because it created a, it, it, it had a hemispherical wavefront that expanded at 4,000%, I mean, 400% per foot in front of the cabinet. So it was a, a wall to, you know, it's just floor to ceiling, wall to wall, perfect hemisphere. Yeah. And it just, there was no, so after being in a bad mood for about a month, not able to listen to my stereo that I worked so hard on, I decided I'm going to have to get serious now. Something has to be done. So I, I took the front off, I took the five and a quarters out of the box and I put the front back on, I cut a hole in the front and put a single six inch woofer in there because I knew that would create a comb filter effect and there'd be some base somewhere in that room. I didn't care if I had to go sit in the corner or against the wall. I really didn't care at this point. I just wanted to have some damn base, yeah, right? Some old school corner loading. Exactly. So I did this and um, it, it worked. So the reason there was no base when I brought the empty cabinet in there is it turned, it became a base trap. Hmm. And the reason there was no base when I turned it on is because it canceled it, you know, the standing wave. Right. So then I, when I had the two six and a halfs in there, um, it had glorious base. It's been that way ever since. It's been all 30 years now. In fact, I'll show them to you. It, so is that why you started building those panels uh, to change the rooms for because you have for no, home theater? No, that, oh, okay. That was way before that. This oh, was okay. this was just this was what taught me that you can horn load a port because when I took those five and a quarters out of the throat, mm -hmm. those openings turned into a port. Got you. See, I had a huge box with a port right at the throat of that horn. And so the bass that came out of that thing was insane. In fact, the problem with it is always too much bass. You can't even no put a You have to put something <laughs> with an FS of about 50 to 80 hertz in there. Otherwise, the 40 hertz will blow you out of the room. So when I did the Wicked one, I already knew that this would work. And the Wicked one is just a two-dimensional version of it. It's just a, like a, the one you built, the WO32. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like half of, it's just a slice of this thing. The original Wicked one was a little bit more bodacious than that. But the fact that you can horn load a port is a game changer and I can see, well, with SPL, that, that box somebody got right after we did it, and this would have been in the early, you know, about the mid to late 90s, somebody hit 151.8 with a pair of 10s in a pickup truck with that box. Yeah, I, I remember then, that, yeah. Back then, that was a lot. Yeah. I know it's not that much of a deal now but so so i got two questions on here real quick says steve who is your favorite artist to test your enclosures with oh god um i would i would say um 
Boris Blank. And what is that? I am not familiar with the Boris Blank. Boris Blank is uh, the guy that invented the group Yellow. He does electronic music. Uh, so like EDM type stuff, or yeah, it well, it's not, it's it's um, it's got some of the best dynamic range and some of the best bass of any of the stuff that you're gonna stream. So, so you're looking for full range music, and um, yeah, I, I want, you know, I don't want to listen to a whole library of CDs if I can get one artist that can get it all crammed into a single track, and that's this guy. He's he can. Okay. Uh, you'll have to, to look him up, Boris Blank. Okay, Boris Blank. Like um, it's also really good for imaging. Um, so if you're trying to dial that in or explore what's possible in a, in a particular setup, it's good for that. So, so Aaron Bryant says, "What does this have to do with car audio?" So Aaron, <laughs> let me explain to you what it has to. You must have missed the beginning of this. So everybody in car audio starts somewhere. Um, for me personally, DB Don and a handful of other people that I know that are very good box builders and people that you probably learned how to build boxes from, they most likely started with a wicked one or a death box and kind of learned the dynamics, just like Steve's talking about right now, where he took a subwoofer and moved its location and went, oh, wait, you can port a horn? And that's where a lot of people came up with their designs for their six order uh, walls that they're running now. So everybody's running six order walls and it started from something. This is tonight is what we're talking about. The history of how it started um, for most of the guys in the car audio game. Uh, people that you learned from most likely had learned from Steve. Uh, same with me. I learned uh, so much stuff from Steve. I was building a sixth order wall back in I think 2003 or 2004 and initially I was just gonna build essentially a big wicked one in the car and when I did the math to make the horn work in a wall format was just so it was an insurmountable task because the waveform mm. would have to be of a, such a length that there was no way I was gonna be able to create that inside the vehicle so what I did is I started playing that around with six order designs I was doing with less than 2,000 watts it was like 1825 I think I measured on my thing and uh, two 12 inch hundred dollar speakers in 2005 I was doing a 158 so that was um, a lot of based on Steve Deckert describing how efficiency was key and you gotta understand back then the biggest amp that they made um, at least that I produced and that I could get out there and even play with was 1500 watts or 2000 watts so efficiency was God back then and so we were trying to create designs and Steve was doing it on a different scale and he was thinking of it differently than the rest of the world at that time and I'm sure Steve was looking at stuff, like he said, he started with stuff that was from the, what you say, 30s and 40s. I actually went back and looked at books from the 30s and 40s. And if anybody watching this program right now, if you ever have a chance, go look at the stuff people were designing back in the 30s and 40s. Their minds 
and the math that they did and their understanding of acoustical energy was so phenomenal then but the equipment couldn't keep up with the, what their brains were producing and now we're being we're, we can produce so much acoustical energy and if we use the stuff that they had back in the 30s and 40s with their efficiency that they were doing you guys are going to find you know i mean that i promise you a lot of those principles are in those super street 170 plus vehicles nowadays i can give you a good example of that okay please do when i i think it was my first competition that i entered when i got into car audio i had a s10 because i didn't want panel flex because i was only in it for sound quality i wasn't trying to do spl but spl was just starting um it was an iaska sanctioned event and there was these two guys one with um rockford fosgate's best 12s Mm -hmm. And 2,500 watts, which back then that, you know, you can get a charging system to do much more than that. Right. And he had a nice box and it, and it was in the back of a Bronco. Okay. And there was another Bronco just like his that had a wall and the wall had um, 12 tens in it or 10 twelves. I don't remember. And 130 watt amp. And they both hit the exact same number, all right? Okay. Which I don't remember what it was, maybe 134 or 138 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And But the difference is the guy with the two 12s sounded like, you know, a wet towel hitting a Rubbermaid garbage can lid. And it, it had diarrhea bad, all right? And, and, and the guy with the wall that face was just as tight as a brick. It was perfect. There wasn't any harmonic distortion in it. It was refreshing at 138. It was great. And I thought, well, there you go. You know, it doesn't make any sense at all if you can get away with a more efficient driver, you know, but there, there was obviously a tipping point that approach starts to fail once the power gets to a certain level right power and, compression yeah you got to have enough yep. air around that coil and the coil's got to be thick the moving mass has to go way up everything just turns it you know power if you take it from the from the argument that power is is bottomless we can make as much power as we need then it just becomes about how strong can we make the device you know the woofer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the direction that it went, because where else could it go? I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the average car now. Um, oh, uh, why is the video so dead now? I'm not sure what that means. Let's see here. They used to have so many more viewers. I don't know what he's talking about. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, anyway, um uh so anyway yeah I, like i said so for me personally uh whether you guys like this or not this one was all about for me uh steve is um somebody that i would strongly suggest you guys listen to uh he's got a book um tell us about your website real quick steve uh, what's on it and where it's at and all that well if you if you're 
if you're um, new to car audio or into DIY, um, just Google secrets of car audio and it'll mm -hmm. pop up. Okay. Otherwise, you just go to Deckware.com. That's our main website. And we, we manufacture high-end tube, tube gear for the home primarily. That's, that's what we do now. We, we did car audio years ago. And, and so he also sells plans for um, for different things. The House Wrecker, which is a home audio uh, box. The Wicked One, which is a home audio and car audio box. Uh, the Death Box, uh, the Low Rider um, are some of the things. So you can purchase those plans from his website. Um, I purchased those plans many years ago. <laughs> Um, so I still have all those things and like I said, I refer to them and they are um, If somebody wants a, a Cheap go-to I always suggest the death box. It's real easy. You can make it work with any vehicle um, Okay, so uh, Jeffrey we're about out of time here. You want to hit him with the question? Sure, sure. So uh, Steve, this is a question that we ask uh, all of our guests basically we want to know what is your definition of a base head somebody that looks for the extreme performance of things so, you know okay. somebody who's not satisfied with the norm someone who likes mm -hmm. to push the envelope and has the taste to tell the difference okay no that that's a good answer uh that's not one we've had before um <laughs> uh which is sure so uh so Steve, they can get a hold of you on the website. Um, like I said, uh, if you guys are into reading and want to learn his car audio book, uh, what's the name of your car audio book? Secrets of Car Audio. Secrets, Secrets of, car, of audio. car Audio. So he talks about time alignment in there and some other stuff, uh, which is actually really cool to um, to read up on. You can learn a lot of stuff from Steve, um, you know, and he's real out there on the on uh on the internet he has a form how is your is your form still pretty active steve or oh yeah oh okay yeah. so they got a form in there to help you if you are having problems with some of the designs or like i said um they test so many things but it's definitely a higher level thinking when you get into those uh when you get into those forums especially with the tube amps um, they're talking about different wires being used to for your interconnects and um, mm. It's definitely higher higher level at a lower cost. I, is that a pretty good accurate? Yeah, I would say so and, and, and you know ironically, it's a lot of people that started out in car audio took that enthusiasm into their living room, mm. you know and you were just applying the same thing, but from a sound quality perspective, instead of SPL, uh, we're, we're, we're about the 3D hologram of making speakers disappear and creating an intoxicatingly deep sound stage and, you know, getting the, the width to go 10 feet on either side of the speaker and and that's that's a that's a science that's really not that different. It's just not as loud. Mm -hmm. But the principles still hold true, yeah. and you can under if you understand the principles, you can use them in your car on also. 
Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at with this whole thing. It's both ways. Um, so it says, Ray, it says uh, Tristan from Bridgetown Barbados says, Steve, it was really awesome to hear the voice of a great audiophile legend. I will not forget the show for sure. Um, nice. And that's that's my intent, um, just to hear people. I would love to get mm-hmm. Oki on here, as Jeffrey knows. Oki's one of the coolest dudes in the world. Um, <laughs> he used to travel the world just to sit in vehicles that did 170s back in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. You know, um, that was his, his thing. His trademark thumbs yeah, his up. Thumbs up the, with uh, the coffee cup. <laughs> we, and he'd be sitting behind, you know, like I, the Riley's Extreme Vehicle with their, yep. you know, a thick bulletproof glass windshield. You can see him <laughs> the little tiny go doing this. So, so he, he, he knows a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I said, so I, I really want to bring the legends on here. People that have a different level of understanding of what we do. And then hopefully you guys can go back to the stuff that they um uh the the stuff that they put out like steve has got so much stuff on the internet so if i mean it's gonna happen we're not looking forward to it but one day when he's gone he's put so much out on the internet that it's still there and this is an opportunity for you guys to look at it understand it and um and, and grow from it. So, guys, we've already hit the hour mark. Uh, we've asked our question. Jeffrey, what's going on behind you, sir? <laughs> oh, uh, I, I have a triple point event uh, happening Moses Sunday, Moses is not happy February. about that. No? <laughs> well, he needs to, uh, you know, step it up. <laughs> well, uh, he's more than welcome to come if he wants to. It's going to be Sunday, February 19th, uh, Crossfire Car Audio out there at uh, Grapevine, Texas. Um yeah, it should be a fun show. Um, yeah. All right, awesome. Check it out, dbdragracing.com. Uh, remember, next week we're going to have the, um, what's it called, the judges on, uh, Ray Choi, Wyatt, myself, and Jeffrey. So if you guys have any questions about Sound Deadener, we'll break the internet again. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, any other questions about competing in DB Drag Racing, we are here to answer them. But you got to be at the live show, otherwise we don't know what your questions are. Um, have them ready, ask us, and we will do the best we possibly can. Uh, guys, reach out to Steve. Steve is, like I said, he is. From what I've learned, <laughs> oh, you mean you break? <laughs> we're gonna break DB Drag again. <laughs> um, uh, uh, from what I've I've learned over the time, uh, Steve's pretty much an open book, and he's willing to help anybody out so um you know reach out to him and his company um you know help support those who do the things you do you know our 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 uh sponsors here we got pun customs and um crossfire car audio steve deckert has a um recone they sell recone parts still or no yeah we still sell re-edge kits Okay, yeah. so they sell re-edging kits. They do um, all kinds of stuff. Uh, sell speakers, and like I said, box designs that you can build yourself. The radial speakers for your home audio are actually really, really cool. So if you're into that stuff, uh, what's his name? Um, purple hair, purple beard. Um, uh, shoot, the one that lives in Sacramento with the purple car. He had the purple beard. John Nolte, 
John Nolte, Nolte built right. some of that radial, radial stuff. He did the uh, <laughs> helicopter. So you'd be really cool. The, you, you'd have a great time talking to John Nolte. He actually made a helicopter blades and made them into a subwoofer. So then they move out of frequency <laughs> and they spin. And it actually is a really cool subwoofer design. Yeah, so. Yeah, so he did that. So, I mean, like I said, so, and he's another person um, that the uh, guys did. Also, if you guys get a chance, go on to Pun Customs' uh, Facebook page. His building burnt down. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, um, go over there, hit up his Facebook, show some love for him if you would. Help us grow membership mm -hmm. on the YouTube side. Um, I think I got everything. Remember, support those who support us. Uh, puns customs and crossfire car audio uh, we will see you guys next week with judging questions on this week in car audio next week 5 30 p.m california time the only time that matters we will see you guys next week